Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, with that introduction, which is truer than true, I want to let you know that today we we have a brand new guest, and although it isn't crime-related, it can certainly be a, a traumatic topic. Uh, we are going to be addressing uh, the tumultuous journey of um, teenagerhood, if that's a word, and mother and daughter relationships. And uh, I was very fortunate to meet a Connecticut-based educator and author who I will bring on in a minute, and um, she has a wealth of information to offer. So we're very excited to do that. But uh, before I do that, I want to uh, welcome my co-pilot, Delilah. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Great. This is really a good topic, Donna. I, I'm very excited to get into it. And I think that, you know, there are all types of mother-daughter relationships out there, um, especially tough during the teen years. And um, I know that Deborah has a lot of information. So we're... Um, it's going to be great. We're raring to go, yes. So um, I'll, I'll just give a, a very brief overview, and then she can elaborate. Uh, Deborah Ann Davis, based, based in Connecticut, was a, an educator, a teacher for 25 years, and I believe retired and in, um, sought to do other uh, things. She's into a number of ventures, um, and she, she is an established author, she um, is a presenter, and uh, she she has um, a lot of information to convey in terms of her areas of expertise. And from what I know and chat with her, she's a very articulate and inspiring and uh, provocative speaker and kind of just makes you think. And I know that um, the successes that she has had in terms of being an award-winning author are going to um, – Go over into her new venture. So, uh, Deborah, good morning, and uh, thanks so much for being part of the Shattered Lives Radio family. Great to good have morning. you. Good morning. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Well, that's great, and well, welcome to the radio if this is your first time. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually done different radio interviews, but I've never yep. done one that has been a program like this. Oh, well, well, great. Um, so this is baptism by fire, maybe. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, sometimes we do very dark kind of topics, and so this is kind of nice. I just get the the feel that although these, these are serious um, topics, it's also some kind of topics that we can have fun with because I know I get the sense that as you were in teaching, you were very creative in your approaches and you like you like to use laughter in, in yeah. what you do and to try to inspire inspire children um, to, you know, and just to get kids to pay attention at that particular age is a challenge. So why don't we begin with um, 
well, just let me say that I met you. Um, I believe it was last March at the um, Newington Lucy Robbins Library um, book event, and that was a very fortuitous thing because I met a lot of cool and interesting people, and that was kind of our launch. But why don't you give us um, a little background as an educator and how that might have laid the foundation for the work you're doing now? Well, I... um taught for many years. I've taught in Georgia and Massachusetts and Connecticut. I've taught inner city and rural and um, high-end community school, high schools, but always high school and middle school because my niche is teenagers. Um, I've had hundreds of families sitting across from me seeking advice about how to help their kids better navigate high school. And I've come up with strategies over the years when you talk to people in the same area over and over and over, you start to see patterns, and that's what I started to address was the patterns that emerged. It seems like parents were having the same issues regardless of where they were from or their socioeconomic background. Um, their commonality was that they had teenagers. So I was able to coach them with solutions that were specific to their situations and help them make the school year less stressful and more manageable for both their kids and themselves. But um, I was meeting with families just a couple of times a month based on uh, crisis situations in terms of report cards or issues with the kids. And it didn't feel like it was enough. I wanted to do more. So eventually I left teaching so I could reach more people and share my techniques. And then about... Oh, I guess early last year, I was talking to my good friend, Karen Mayo, who's the author of Mindful Eating. And it turns out that even though I was doing teen relationships and she was doing people's relationships with food, our missions were very aligned. And then one thing led to another, and now we have this retreat that we're planning called Relationship Boot Camp, the weekend of September 22nd. And it's an all-inclusive retreat for mothers and their teenage daughters. So we're going to talk to them about how to converse with each other and how to understand each other better and basically how to put themselves into each other's shoes. Uh, So you are doing this in collaboration with your friend that was the author of Mindful Eating? So she's going to be addressing nutritional kinds of things and all of that? Exactly, the effects of food cool. on the, and mood and things like that. And um, yeah. she's also a life coach and a health coach. As, as you are, like you're yeah. saying. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. um, with regard to, you know, so you said you, you saw these patterns over time, and it wasn't just that. Uh, now, did you develop these techniques? Um, I think we had talked um a few weeks ago, you know, we you taught with regard to different children have different learning styles, right, and how to yes. present information to a, and what is the best way to approach them. So are, is this part and parcel of the techniques that you're talking about? It's one section of them. I have a whole plethora of things I do for depending on the, what's going on with particular kids. But this is what I noticed. Now, they have done studies on learning styles. Some people believe in it. Some people don't believe in it. And it's been modified many times 
like now they've got seven or eight different kinds of learning styles. But I just stick with the original three because it's basic and it's a nice round way to approach the topic. So the basic three learning styles are visual learners, auditory learners, and kinesthetic learners, people who learn by doing. Um, The thing that I noticed was that if whatever, first of all, we all learn um, with all three types of them, but what happens is some of us have a stronger learning style in one area than the others and maybe a weaker one in another area. And those learning styles affect things besides school. It affects their relationships. If you have a teacher who has an um, auditory learning style, they're going to teach based on what makes sense to them. And if you have a student who has a visual learning style, they may have difficulty in a classroom where everything is verbal. They need mm-hmm. to see it written down and for them to cement it. So what I do is I share different strategies of how you can function within those different learning style environments. But it goes beyond that. The way they pick friends is affected by their learning style. And the way they interact with their parents is affected by their learning style. The way parents discipline is is affected by their learning style. So if you have a, a kinesthetic parent, who believes um, these particular behaviors are good for disciplining their student because that their their teen because that's what makes sense to them, but they have an auditory um, teenager, then they may run into problems. If you have a visual teenager and you're an uh, auditory parent walking by your teenager and saying. Um, when you're done with that TV show, I want you to turn off the TV, then I want you to set the table for dinner and take the dog for a walk. And the child will respond, but they won't take it in. And the parent will go off and expect those orders to be followed. But if they had left a list, the kid would have noticed the list and read the list and followed the list. And it creates conflict between them because the parent thinks, oh, the kid's just being lazy and doesn't want to do what I'm saying or is defying me. In reality, they're just receiving the information differently than the parent would expect it. Right. Well, that that's very interesting to me with the background in speech-language pathology because I was thinking – um, how do you identify with the with the parent and the and the child in terms of their or the teenager, excuse me, with their learning style? I mean, other than having a neuropsychological evaluation, which most people do not, unless there's a, you know a need, um, or you just kind of figure it out as you go along. But then you know the the the, the, the relationship they're making all of these so you know errors and everything because they don't recognize those differences. Well, when I was teaching, what I would do is get to know my students. You kind of get a feel for the ones who are successful right away. You know mm-hmm. that they're matching they match my learning style. The ones that you know hit it out of the park right away are mm-hmm. receptive to the way I present things. The ones who are not doing so well they're the ones I focus on, and I try to figure out what it is that they need. Like sometimes I make them come after school and we work one-on-one because that's what they need. Instead of having a group of people around them, they need it quieter and less 
um, distracting. Sometimes I'll see kids do really well in labs and not so good with homework. So I'll bring them in and we'll do the homework as a discussion instead of them having to write it down. So I know that they understand what's going on. Sometimes I wrote it for them while they told me what the answers were. So there were different ways that I learned about the kids. But when I was speaking with the parents, it would be a little one-sided because I would know the kids and not the parents. So I would present it to the parents that this is uh, – these are strategies that seem to be working for your student, and here are some strategies that you can employ at home. And without delving into the people's own style, you could see whether or not the strategies made sense to them or if they looked foreign. And my um, leap was that if they looked foreign to them, then they probably were not the same learning strategy as the kid. So I spent time emphasizing this is what is specific for this person. This is what is specific for your teen. This is what will help in your situation. And then they would go home, they'd try it, and they'd check back with me, and they would say what would work, what didn't work, and then we would refine it from there. It would be That's cool great. to be able to do a learning assessment on the parents, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that facilitates communication, and you feel like, you know, so, you know, it just, comes down and it's not simple but if if you bring it down to the, the maybe the core problem is different learning styles after all you know so everyone pay attention to this <laughs> um, you know. plus i just want to add you can go online and and um search for learning style strategies and they will give you the learning style quiz right there you can take it you can have your teens take it and then you can uh, compare your results how are you the same learners or different learners and then it tells you strategies of what you can do for teenagers in terms of um, academics to strengthen themselves in areas where they're weak the thing is a lot of people look at taking these learning style quizzes as identifying who they are it just identifies a strength and a weakness and it Mm -hmm. is not the reason for you to say or the excuse for you to say, well, I don't learn that way, so that's not going to be in my wheelhouse. No, what it is is an identifier so you can say, well, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm weak at, so I need to shore up the parts where I'm weak. I need to go after that and make myself balanced. That's ultimately what you want to achieve is balance. Right. Is it incumbent upon the parent to change their approach all the time to the teen, or is there a responsibility of the teen to also recognize that the the parent is for 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 themselves communicating with their strength? I mean, is it a mutual responsibility, or is it always the parent that needs to adjust? I can't answer it the way you phrased it. Let me go around that a little bit. If the parent, um, the parent has to be the leader. And when they lead, they have to share the direction with the student so the student knows what path they're on. And then the student needs to follow the path. So, Um, it's not initially the student's responsibility. It's the parent's responsibility because the parent is the responsible one. But once the the information is shared, then it becomes 
mutually responsible. The thing is that um, parents may have a weakness in their learning style. So if their weakness happens to be where the kid is strong, then the parent needs to go out there and do some learning about what to do because the ultimate goal is to produce a um, responsible, strong teenager and young adult. That's what you want. And so if that's what your goal is, then you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. And if you share that goal with your teenager, that your goal is not to um, figure out how to get prom date, your goal is to grow and become the person that you're going to be excited about when you're 25, when you're 35, when you're 45. Yeah, well, absolutely, and I think ultimately every parent wants that, but sometimes maybe they can't see the forest for the trees. And can can we um, talk a little bit about in, in general uh, what are the what what are the biggest challenges and the myths um, with regard to what what teenagers and and and, and parents or, or mothers are facing. As opposed to like what we were saying with uh, Delilah, and you know when when she brought up her her child a, a, a couple of decades ago, what are the the biggest challenges that you, that you see today? And today, although there is there are commonalities, are there things that really really seem to need to be addressed because we're in 2017? Um. I think this is my pet challenge. That is the the myths that are surrounding teenage sex and promiscuity. That is the biggest challenge I see because so many people perpetuate the idea that kids are running around having sex when the statistics show that that simply is not true. And everybody ends up thinking that that's what they're supposed to be doing because that's what all the movies show and that's what all the TV series show and they, you know, it just gets perpetuated, and it, it just isn't true. When I was teaching, I started teaching in 1980, and I was a science teacher, so I was asking these questions the first week of school and using it as data collection so we could evaluate the data. And what I would do is I would give the kids a bubble sheet with a survey on it and say um, five questions. And were they messing around with alcohol or drugs or sex? And then I would compile the results, and there was no handwriting on it. You just color in a circle and no names on it. And I would compile the results, and I'd give the results to the kids the next day. Now, in the 1980s, it turns out that, like, only 2 to 3% of the kids were fooling around in high school. They were having sex, just 2 or 3%. And this was after the crazy 70s and all the 80s movies that were out there with all the, you know, Breakfast Club and that whole era where there were all those teenage movies. And everybody thought that everybody was having sex. So I'd present the results to my classes, and the kids were adamant that everybody had lied that those results weren't true. And I would say to them, it's a bubble sheet. It's not like I can recognize your handwriting. Are you telling the truth on it? They're going, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, all right, well, look, we will do it again. Tell the truth. And we'd get the same results. The funny thing was they would not believe me. Even with the <laughs> second set of results, 
they would Is not right? believe that nobody was having sex. So you and you a, were confident that, that they were being truthful because you had built a, built a rapport with them, et cetera? No, I was confident no? they were being truthful because it was the first day of school. They didn't know me. I had no way of identifying them. Oh, okay. That's why I thought they were being truthful. And to get mm-hmm. the same results two days in a row, Mm-hmm. But they still wouldn't. Re- re- they still wouldn't believe me. And then, so I did the same thing year after year after year. And I wish I had collected the data because, uh, you know, I didn't know I was collecting data for me. But it was just so interesting that when um, I started putting in the question, how many people in your grade are having sex, and they would all write down like ninety percent or a hundred percent, except me, type thing. Well. When I switched schools, they, I would tell the kids we're going to do the survey, and they'd say, well, that's not our school. Uh, we're different. It was always the same. And when people are listening to this, I'm sure they're saying, well, that's not my kid's school or that's not my school. But I'm saying, just like I said in the beginning, I taught in poor inner city, and I taught in rich, um, um, high-class urban, I mean, uh, suburban home uh, towns, and I taught in... Uh, um, schools that were Hispanic and schools that were black and schools that were white. So I've been in all different kinds of schools, a northern school and a southern school, and the results are always the same. So most of those results were for, like, freshmen and sophomores. Guess what the numbers were like for seniors? Mm, I don't know. Tell us. 8%. 8%. So if you have a graduating class of 100 kids, eight, only eight of them have fooled around. That's 92 kids graduate without having sex. And here they are thinking, oh, I'm the only one, and, you know, I better find Mr. – you know, I better find that boyfriend because I, I have to be with the in crowd, right? That's right, and everybody else is. So – then I heard that, um, and I, I looked this up and it was true, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, partnered with Seventeen Magazine, and they did right. this survey, and they got the same kind of results I did. Wow. That's very so interesting. it wasn't just my kids. So in this day and age, convincing the kids to stay centered and not sit there thinking that they're not doing what they need to be doing to be popular if there was a way to make them understand that they are on target and they are fine, that, I think, is the biggest challenge of this decade. And is it not true that teenage pregnancies are 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 down, comparatively speaking, across the nation? I don't know what the stat is, but, I mean, overall. Um, I believe that that's true. I also um, have some statistics about um, the kids who do have sex, they said that 80% of them regretted it. Of the girls who had sex, 80% of them regretted it. And out of the kids who are having sex, when in, one in four of them get STDs within the year. Wow. Sexually transmitted diseases. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But the interesting thing is that 87% of the kids who are virgins are not embarrassed to say it. So that's the big thing that's changing. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) And on my blog, I have this um, 
post called Sex Myths Believed by Inexperienced Teens that the, your your listeners can go and um, check out because that will give you some talking points that you can share with your kids. Say that again. Give us the reference. Oh, uh, it's, my blog is on my on website, DebraAnnDavis.com, right. right. and the post is called Sex Myths Believed by Inexperienced Teens. Okay. Sex myths believed by experienced teens. So that will be an eye-opening blog in terms of, uh, and this is based on your experience with the kids combined with um, data from research CDC or something. Yes. Yeah, to back it up. Right. Wow. Well, you know, with that, with that as a backdrop, would you like to discuss um, your the materials that you have in in terms of the uh, girls' guide to good guys and you know the workbooks, et cetera, and how that was developed? Oh, I'd like to share with you the story of how that came about. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was teaching in a country town. And it was after school, and these two girls came running into my classroom, slammed the door, and hid outside where they couldn't hid where they couldn't be seen by the window. And I said, "Okay, what's going on?" And one of them was being stalked by an abusive boyfriend. She was 15, and they came in, and it, what their issue was that they wanted to ask me if they could use my room as their lock, as their locker, because the boy was catching her at the locker, and. The friend told me that the girlfriend had had this situation since the seventh grade. So this was obviously a repeat pattern for her. And they wouldn't tell me the boy's name. So all I could do was alert the counselors that something was going on. But I told her she could use my room as a locker if she didn't bring the drama to my room and if she came to me one day a week after school and we could discuss relationships. So she did that. And one day a week, I would come up with a little exercise for her to do that helped her focus on herself and her wants and her needs and what she really, truly wanted, you know, eliminating the friend buzz in her ear and the media hype that you always heard and wherever else she was getting her ideas. And it helped her focus on her and what she really wanted and what she definitely didn't want in her relationships. Can you give us little, an example of what you might have given as like a lesson or um, what you might have done? Well, the, I started out by um, having her um, pick a guy in her mind and write down all of his ideal attributes, everything that made her heartbeat. So it could be the guy that she had just broken up with or a current crush or a movie star, it didn't matter, that she needed to go through and figure out what she wanted. And it needed to be an exhaustive list, like hundreds of characteristics on it. And then from there, I had her narrow it down to um, a handful that she absolutely would be unhappy in a relationship if she didn't have. So it kind of eliminated eye color and height and how big their biceps were and things like that but it included things about he won't hit me and he won't hit our children, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So she came, she developed herself a core of things. We call them must-haves. So at the end, I made her a little cheat sheet of her must-haves 
on the card and I told her that she could just pull that out when she was interested in a guy and make a decision right then and there whether or not this was a, a direction she wanted to go into. And I also told her that that didn't mean she needed to kick everybody to the curb. She could still go out and have fun. She just needed not to let it go past a certain point because that was not what she wanted. It wasn't about me saying what she wanted or what she should do. This is what she had said she wanted. So fast forward about five years, and I'm at a convenience store, and I hear, Mrs. Davis, and she comes running out from behind the counter, and she gives this big hug, and she says, <laughs> check this out. And she pulls out her wallet, and she has the card in it. And it's laminated. And she turns red and she says, I've been single for almost two years. And she's so proud. I was, you know, I had this lump in my throat. It was so cute. Mm -hmm. And then she waves over this other girl who was working there and says, this is the teacher I was telling you about. Show her yours. And that girl pulls out a card from her wallet that they had made together. (laughs) And her list was different than my students. And this girl says, I've been single for about six months, and they're the ones who told me that I needed to do this for other people. I needed to put this into a book. But at the time, I was a science teacher. I wasn't an author, and it didn't Mm -hmm. occur to me to write a book. But now that I'm an author, the book is being written. So would they they keep this to themselves, or would they actually pull this out and here's this guy – Nope, sorry, you're not on my list. Goodbye. <laughs> I I would <laughs> hope, I would hope that they wouldn't whip it out in front of the guy. No, and 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 like I said, these are things that they feel that they can't live without. So it isn't, it wasn't fluffy things. These were things not that they hot felt body or something like that. These nothing like, like that. Monster nothing like that. Attributes and they were about able whether to or not they'd be prejudiced or whether or not yeah. they would be, you know, kind or you know, um, the, the, you know, both of them had different words. Right. And then the interesting thing is, I ended up doing an exercise similar to this with my daughter when. Um, I was away visiting my mother, and she was home with my husband, and my husband was going, you know, um, she said she went to the bus stop, but she really got picked up by somebody to get taken to school, so she was riding into school with this boy. And the boy was a very nice boy, but he was a lot older than she was, and she was dazzled by this and because um, he was a senior and she was a freshman. So... I wanted her to have a clear head on her shoulders when it came to the situation. So I did some of these exercises with her over the phone. What is it that you really want? And, you know, trim it down and and look at that and then see whether or not you think an 18-year-old boy is prepared to provide all that or think about whether or not he's actually developing just like you are and he's going to be a different person in five years. So the thing mm-hmm. is, I do absolutely no boy bashing because I love my teenage boys. They are the most wonderful creation right next to the wonderful teenage girls. But the thing is that they're all developing, and they none of them have a clue. And they all think that everyone has a clue except them. And so you can't put down teenage boys who are trying to figure out what the media is telling them they're supposed to be doing when they're trying to figure out how to handle 
their hormones and their crushes and their feelings for other for girls themselves. Right, and we're talking about you know the the research bears out that your brain really isn't you know even beginning to, at maturity level till about twenty five or so. Yeah. Right? Yeah, when my daughter was growing up, they thought that the brain was like a small version that just got bigger. But now they understand that the brain develops from the back to the front. So mm-hmm. the forebrain, which houses your logic centers, is the last part to develop. Oh, joy. How inconvenient. <laughs> yes. But your, your, your instant gratification centers are one of your first ones that develop. Uh-huh. Wow. So, there was a study done that um, they were doing MRIs and brain work with um, and, and asking kids questions. And when they showed girls pictures of guys that they liked, all these different sections of their brain lit, lit up. But if they showed them something that about that was academic, it was like a little bit of fizzy would go on. That would be it. And that's it. <laughs> But the interesting thing they found was that if the girls are told that this is the way their brain works, they make better decisions. Instead of being caught in the throes of, what the heck is going on with me? If they go, oh, this is my brain doing that, I can handle that, they can make better decisions, which I I found that unexpected because that's still part of your forebrain. Yeah, but at least, well, hopefully they won't use that as an excuse. Well, that was my brain talking, not me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, what, how do you, stro- what, tell us about the work, workbooks themselves. They're like binders, and how, many, how are they structured, and is it like a let? If someone wants to go, and uh, of course we want you to be able to share if they want to purchase these on Amazon or wherever, how, how, are they, how are they structured, and is it like a lesson per day, and do you do it? together or in secret or what the um workbook will be out later in 2017 it will be um spiral bound and it will it's a series of exercises and there's different chapters that go along for different points um some of them are fill in the blank some of them are personality tests and they can be done by yourself um but most of them, most of the exercises say, if you want to see something really cool, try to take this personality test as if you were, say, your mother and see if you can get it right and then have your mother take the personality test and see how close you were because you, the, you may find that you totally misrepresent your mother in your mind, that she's got other, um, other messages that she's giving you that you're not receiving. Um, so... There's different exercises, there's work, um, word searches, there's puzzles, there's games, there's lists of things that you can do um, out, instead of um, going out on a date that you can go out with groups of friends with the guy that you're interested in and lots of different ideas of things you can do for fun like that. Um, some in, unusual things. I went all over the place looking for different ideas in there. In In terms of um, who's going to do it? I, I imagine uh, girls would do it with their girlfriends, and then parents would see this kind of a book and buy it for their kids and say, "Here, take a look at this." 
And um, well, I, lo- I did this cool. quiz. You take that quiz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you may um, uh, uh, try to market to, like, you know, the guidance counselors in schools or, you know, the National Education Association or, or something like that if you find that it really takes off? Or, or, I would like you to know, send libraries? it. I'd, I'd like to involve anybody who works with teenagers. So I'd, I'd like to look at organizations like Big Brother, Big Sister, um, the um, – oh, I lost the name. Well, the after-school programs that you see in the different schools, the anything any, – any place where there's a group of people who are working with teenage kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Upward Bound programs. Oh, Upward Bound. I, I yes. did a lot with the people down in uh, the, uh, near the Mexican border. I I have a contact for you. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, but yeah, Upward Bound is is a wonderful um, organization. So, are you? Can we consider this like an appeal if people have groups out there where they're working with teens, and and if they get if they wanted to get in touch with you uh, for the future. For future collaboration, is that something you're looking for? Absolutely, absolutely, right. and I'd be happy to facilitate this with your group because okay. I believe that the best way to approach teenagers is with humor. And I personally have a tenth grade sense of humor, so I'm I'm totally <laughs> at home with teenagers. Yeah, how how is it? Um, tell us a little bit about your your presentations. For example, the one that you're going to do. On June 13 at the at the Lucy Robbins Wells Library is that, and it's free, everyone in Connecticut. If you want to come, um, it is free. Right? Is that primarily for for um, um, mothers and daughters or anyone that's interested? This one is for um, parents and teenagers. And since we're going to be doing hands-on activities, it would be best served if you had a parent and a teenager there. If you have like the just the parents go, they won't get as much out of it because they okay. will be watching other people do the exercises. It's um at six thirty and we'll be dealing with personality types and learning strategies, some of the stuff we were talking about here. So you can actually find out what it is that you do and in the presence of your teenager and have a conversation right then and there about, Oh, I didn't know you did this or you did that. If I could just stick in an analogy here, you know the um, image of a guy working out at the gym where he has really big arms and little skinny legs? Mm -hmm. The reason why they do that is because they work out their arms because they're strong and it's easy to do that workout. And they don't tend to work on their legs because they're weaker. Well, that's the way we are in all aspects of our life. In our learning strategies, if, in our learning styles, if we are strong in one area, that's what we tend to pursue, and we ignore the ones where we're weak. But we don't have to do that. So if we end up finding ways to listen better or to move around and use our hands better, that would be better for us on the whole overall. If we improve all those modalities. Exactly. Know, well, yeah, I think we kind of gravitate, and that can be for any relationships. So I know exactly. I'm a different different learner than my publicist is. So sometimes <laughs> it's like 
Right, Delilah? I can't understand this. Absolutely. <laughs> so, see, I have a new excuse. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> but, no, this is all becoming very clear. And it, so it has so much application for other people. Delilah, you've been kind of quiet there. What, what's your take on what we've talked about so far? What do you think? Well, I just I just wish that I had access to Deborah back uh, a long time <laughs> a, a long time ago. Well, you <laughs> have now. might have made my life a little easier back then. Um, but yes, I I think this is just so valuable. I guess what my question is, I'm going back to the retreats, which I feel um, are are necessary. I I really feel that this is something that's going to be powerful for mother-daughter relationships, especially with teens. I I wish you would get into even older mothers and daughters because there's a lot of issues there that have been created over a lifetime and possibly went back and is rooted in the teen years. Um, Mm -hmm. And misunderstandings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us about that. Yeah. Who? Well, Delilah, no, I mean, what were you going to oh. say? I'm sorry, Delilah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Finish your thought. No problem. Yeah. I just wanted to, I, I'm, I'm back to the retreat again because, I, I, again, I'm pushing this for people out there. I think it's very, very much needed. But for the listener's sake, what do you feel is the is going to be the success? What do you view this retreat as their, what are they going to come away with, so to speak, and that, how can how is how do you repair this relationship if it needs repair? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that they're, you know, not all mother daughter relationships during the teen years are are less than good. Yeah, some of it's not about repairing. Some of it's about bolstering. How to take what's good and make it stronger. The what they'll walk away with is a better understanding of the other person in that very, very important relationship between the mothers and the daughters. I mean, that is your first strong female relationship that you experience. So all your girlfriends, your children, your people you meet in college, they they will all be patterned with that relationship in mind. Whether you say I'm going to do exactly like that, or you say, I'm going to do the opposite of that. So to make that person, well, here, let me give you one stat here. The average, per, the average American family pays um, close to $100,000 to send their kids to a four-year college, right? 30% of the freshmen drop out. And if they, were, if they had a better handle on relationships and how to relate to people and how to handle conflict, then that would help them with their acclimating to the college environment where they are totally on their own and everything is done without somebody's eye overseeing what they're doing. So this workshop helps give them some of those skills that they need to interact with people in a positive manner, not just their mothers. It also teaches them about them and makes them understand that 
um, if there was something that they understood about their mother that the workshop reveals wasn't true, then maybe that happens in their relationships in school. Maybe that happens in their relationships with their siblings. So, yeah. What can you give it? Uh, and I know this is going to be your first one, and it it sounds so exciting. I, I wish I was part of it. Can you give us a rundown in terms of? You know, what's going to, like, you get there on Friday night, and this is what we do, and then we have all this cool food and introductions, and then we, you know, I I mean, can you give us kind of a menu of what's going to happen? Well, initially, um, on Friday night, there'll be registration, and there'll be one workshop there where they will be doing some icebreakers where they'll get to know the other people in the workshop. And... um, and we'll be doing um, some, we'll be setting up the goodie bags and they'll be making some things. There'll be some hands-on activities for themselves. On Saturday and Sunday mornings, we'll be having the um, early morning stretch to get our blood flowing before we get up, I mean, before we begin. And then we'll be having um, breakfast there. And the guest house uses local produce, so the food will be very good for you. And they also take care of dietary issues. Um, we'll be doing, let's see, I don't have this in order, but um, one of the workshops is going to be on navigating relationships. And, and there's one called Different Styles Equals Different Approaches. And there'll be a workshop on the power of mindful eating and how food impacts how you learn. Um, and finding your inner power. And on um, Saturday night, we're going to be doing Philosophy by Fire. There will be a bonfire. We'll be talking about how to create a personal philosophy for yourself. So a real it's bonfire be, outside? Yep, yep. Ooh. And the grounds have a labyrinth there for meditation purposes, and um, it's just going to be a lot of fun. There'll be exercises where they are they meet um, with the mothers and daughters in a large group, and then there'll be exercises where the daughters go off by themselves and the mothers go off by themselves, and then there'll be exercises where they talk to um, a person that they don't know and and discuss an issue with a stranger. So it's it'll be a, a complete mix-up of um, who you speak to. And in each session, you will walk away with something that is going to give you another tool, a better understanding of yourself. Wow. That sounds very powerful. And maybe, is it is it meant to kind of shake you? I mean, if it, if your relationship is broken, rather than just maybe needing to take it to the next good level, is this going to be something that's uh, cathartic and very emotional you might have to have people there to kind of help you help you through it if you know everyone starts crying and all of that kind of thing we'll have tissue boxes but i i think that um i won't be surprised if there's tears i've i've had tears many times sitting in my classroom with families and i've had to say to the children the reason why your mother is crying is because she's frightened for you and the mother nods and the kid looks shocked and i said they they're so worried that they're not doing what they need to do in order for you to be successful. And the, the child immediately sees the whole thing a different light. A second ago they were feeling attacked, and now they're, they're, they're seeing it totally differently. 
And that's what I'm going for, for the student and the parent to see each other totally differently and to say, this is how I want to move forward from here. Okay. Wow. I figure if they're going to have tears in the classroom, they're going to have tears at the retreat. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is an overnight retreat, and all of your – all of your needs are taken care of in terms of your, you know, your your meals and all of that. Yes. Is it like one inclusive price? And it's all you... inclusive. It includes um, six meals and two nights lodging in a very quaint inn. And the run of the grounds, they have, um, it's about, uh, I, I think, 10 miles from the shore, from the Long Island Sound. And it's smack in between um, New York and Boston. So it will be a lot of a lot of learning, a lot of energy there, a lot of positive energy there. Are you looking for people to sign up or is it is it filled already? Registration opens June 1st. Oh. So when well, registration opens, I'm expecting it to go quite quickly. Okay. So we're we're kind of get, getting in on the ground floor and so it's okay for us to announce and say if you're interested, that kind of thing. And oh, you don't absolutely. Have to be you from can, Connecticut, right? No, you do not have to be from Connecticut. And if you go to the website, um, girlsguidetogoodguys.com, um, mm-hmm. that will have the – you can contact me through there if you are interested, and um, even before registration, and I can hold a place for you until registration opens. The oh, wow. thing is that we're going to have an early bird special, so it'll be uh, close to five hundred dollars cheaper if mm-hmm. you sign up or in the early bird special. Okay, that that's that sounds that sounds very good. Um, I wonder if maybe down the line, I just had an idea occur to me. A light bulb went up. It. I mean, I'm, we would be very curious about how the, how this goes and if maybe you would like to come back and sort of give us a report card or maybe even if the retreat was a resounding success or maybe be able to bring a mother-daughter on and, and, oh, that and, and would be talk very about cool. That would be very would cool. Would you be willing to, or at least maybe half of the show and we could talk about another topic? Would that be amenable? That would be wonderful. I would love that. But this will be in September. The um, okay. retreat. This, yeah, in September. Oh, that's right. I was getting the um, your your other present. No, but the presentation at the library um, is in June. June. June, June uh, 13th. 13th. It's correct? a Tuesday night. Yes. It's okay. right on the cusp of summer vacation. So if you're going to figure out a good time to relate to your teens, it'd be a good time. Right before summer vacation starts is an excellent time for that because they will be. Um, uh, wanting to push the envelope with their right. newfound summer freedom. Right. Well, that's good. And you know, the the only thing that I that I wonder about too, and it's unfortunate if if some families don't have a lot of money to put toward a venture like this. Oh, that it sounds wonderful. I mean, are there like scholarships? I mean, is that something you want to feature in the future if you don't have enough money to be able to? Um, take advantage, or is there some other way you could offer a venue that's not quite as much? In the future, mm-hmm. I hope to have some scholarships available. I, I was hoping that um, maybe p- their um, house of worship would be interested in funding something to have a parent 
and the student go, and then they can bring the information back to their congregation. Um, right now, I do not have that in place. Okay. In terms of um, free um, presentations, I'm going to try to set some up around the Connecticut area in the different libraries. So I have one in Newington. I just have to see if I can find some other sites that would be willing to host this. Some and other I'll venues? Do, okay. Correct. And I, I want to do different topics for each one. Well, that that's wonderful. What um, We've got about 10 minutes left, I believe, Deborah, just to give you a little time check. Um, with regard to it's, uh, parents are out there listening, and no matter what state, and unfortunately, you're only one person. You can't clone yourself. <laughs> but um, if, if you someday take this on the road to other states or whatnot, um, if they're listening and, and, and they – their their relationship with their daughter, regardless of what age they are, is broken, um, and they need they want to repair or they want to make it better. Where would a person start? I mean, I know you're going to have the workbooks available, and you also have some nonfiction books if you want to talk about that. But before we get to that, where where would a parent start if they say? oh, my God, I just would love to be able to have a better relationship with my daughter who is a teen. And they're not in Connecticut or they don't have – I mean, they could email you, I'm sure, and get mm-hmm. your materials eventually. But where do they start? Well, there's a lot of places to start, but the, the short answer for that is um, with themselves. The thing is we live in a society where we are stretched to the max. We are over – booked and overscheduled and when we do that in our lives then the drama that comes with our teenagers is one more factor that is already on our overburdened selves and we don't handle it eloquently so one of the best ways to help your teenager is to calm your own life down eliminate some of the things that you've scheduled for yourself and try to have more streamlined existence um, the other thing is if you live in hyper-extended um, fa- uh, life, then you're teaching your teenagers that that's what they need to do. And that may not look exciting to them, and they may be pulling away from you simply because they don't want to follow in those footsteps. So I would say that one of the best things you can do for yourself is take some time, meditate, do the deep breathing, you know, those three cleansing breaths that you do, where you breathe in as long as you can for like a count of eight. If you can work up to it, hold it, and then exhale for a count of eight. And just keep your mind quiet while you're doing that. You can do it while you're driving. Um, It does all these wonderful things for you. It increases your blood flow. It moves your lymph around your body, um, which carries the toxic waste from your body into your bladder. So it moves that so it doesn't reabsorb back into your body. It um, massages your organs. It's just a wonderful thing to do. And, you know, I'm a science teacher, so <laughs> that's why right. I, I go that, down that route. So that would be the biggest thing I would say is help yourself first. And then the second thing I would say is conversation. Little conversations at first, if the, if the relationship is broken, where you just say, I don't want you to get upset, but I just wanted to say that I love you. And I want to figure out a way to do good by you. And start there and say, you know, that's all I wanted to say and back out again. 
um, just put the food for thought in there that you don't like the way things are going and you want to make them more positive. Um, and then go back for more on another day. So you start small and creep in there. Um, I have, you know, of course my blog has information on it. Um, it tends to be more tongue-in-cheek because that's my personality, but there are things in there for um, your relationship with your teens. Um, helping them organize for their final exams is a great big stress reducer because if the kids are doing good in school, then that reduces the stress in the household. So that helps. Uh, there are also two books that I like. One of them is called Dial Down the Drama by Colleen O'Grady, and that's about um, the mother-daughter relationship. And another one is Growing Courageous Girls by Priscilla Wainwright. So I recommend both of those in terms of um, parenting hints. And then the other thing that causes big issues is about partying and um if the kids are wanting to go like to graduation party, if your town still happens to be in prom season, or if you're worried about parties during the summer, sit down and um, with your teen and discuss what the rules are going to be and discuss what the consequences are going to be if they break the rules. Make it clear and then tell them, you can call me anytime, no questions asked, and I will come get you rather than have you or somebody else drive drunk. So making yourself available in those ways with the conversation that I want things to change will help. And then you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Go talk to a therapist or go get self-help books in the library and see how other people are doing it. Find situations that are similar to you and your, your, your team and see what they did to solve those issues. All right, well, I think those are very good and very practical, practical points. Um, and just to reiterate, when when are your workbooks going to be available? The first one should be available by September. The second one will be available in 2018. That one's called Girls' Guide to Good Guys, Mr. Right or Mr. Right Now. The first one is Girls' Guide to Good Guys, The Power of Being Patient and Picky. So with with the title of that that that, uh, that seems to indicate that you you're going to be teaching them how to be selective, and then I'm going to be teaching them about themselves. Okay, talk a about little bit themselves, of, and to be okay. satisfied with being single, and to understand that everybody around them is growing and. Um, they can have fun and and be patient until they're grown. Does it also um, have information with how to navigate your peer group if you're wanting to do the right thing, but the peers are there pressuring you and you're, you're feeling that pressure? I mean, is that part of it? Absolutely it is. Yes, that's definitely in there because the um, peer pressure happens when the um, kids are – um, feeling mean, they're feeling insecure, and they're trying to get somebody else to do the stuff they're too afraid to do themselves. And I will just say, in case there happens to be any teenagers listening right now, mean people are insecure. They are insecure. If they were secure, they wouldn't be acting mean. 
So you don't need to be around and let them hurt you, but you can understand that that is a wounded person on some level. So um, <laughs> stay away from it's that. It's not you. Right. It's not well, you, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, well, there's I, definitely discussion about um, peer pressure. Well, uh, yeah, because I think that's like 50% of the battle when you're a mm-hmm. teen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, our hour has come to a close, but I do want to invite you back if you are amenable to that. Uh, and, you know, I wish you all the best in the in the presentation coming up next month and particularly for the retreat, and I hope that you'll keep in touch with me because Delilah and I are very interested in keeping in touch with you in the future as well, okay? Thank you. And I have some giveaways for your listeners. If they go to com forward slash giveaway, you'll find three little documents I put on there that might be able to get them started. Oh, well, that's wonderful. So any other contact information that you want to repeat so we have it again? Um, so Deborah is spelled D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Anne is A-N-N, Davis, DebraAnnDavis.com slash giveaway. And then the workshop information is on GirlsGuideToGoodGuys.com. Very good. And just good. go under the workshop tab and you'll find them there. Okay, excellent. Well, I want to thank you again, Deborah. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I wish you all the best. We'll be keeping in contact. Delilah, you have any parting uh, comments? Well, I just want to thank Deborah for taking her Saturday morning to um, get all of this good information out to the public. I think, again, it's very, very valuable, and anyone who is um, raising a teen daughter, take Take this opportunity to help yourself, help your daughter, um, because I I think it's going to be something that will last for a lifetime. Thank you very much. I totally agree. So so with that, we will close out another edition of Shattered Lives Radio. Until next week, so thank you so much, Deborah. Be sure to listen on the archives, everyone. Uh, Thank you, Delilah. We'll see you next Saturday. 